Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words as they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experiences I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often, and print it as copies of it as often as you'd like and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. Tapping on that will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you choose to do that, 
and you have comments, questions, answers, and testimonials, and you are willing to share them with us, we would greatly appreciate it because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. So if you are willing to share your comments, questions, answers, or testimonials, you may call us at 563-999-3581, and or you can send an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or a question from you, we will address it on the show and then as time allows, send you a, a notification about what day and time we were able to do that and you can listen back to the archive for the feedback. So, the, um, the, the, the biggest thing that was on my mind today was I had a, a physical therapy session this morning before coming to work, and um, the young woman was asking me about what I do, and we got talking about this Internet show and the reality management worksheet and the, the free app and and she's quite interested in that kind of stuff and she kept asking so how do people find out about this and I said well essentially because everyone who is working on the internet show or the support groups or the website that Michael and Jeannie maintain is doing it they're basically donating their time. They're doing it as a labor of love. So there is no active advertisement or marketing or promotion for this because that would be additional money and people are already you know, giving of themselves, giving of their time and their intelligence and their energy. And she said, well, but you know, if it's that good, more people need to know about it. <laughs> and I just started chuckling, thinking about how the support group, the Tuesday group's been going for 19 years now and the Thursday group for 10 years and and uh, and how relatively low the census is for those groups and how relatively low the census is for these internet shows in terms of you know people tuning in or I'm not sure what the numbers are or how to track how many are listening to the archives and yet the value to the people that do get exposed to it is you know beyond words so that's another thing that we haven't mentioned in a while but since all of this is being done by Michael and Jeannie uh, on a volunteer basis, and um, you know, it, it, if you have either financial resources or if you have the time to donate to, you know, if you have some special skills, we've mentioned that you can contact Jeannie and offer to help with a project. They've, they've usually got a number of projects 
in process. And um, so I just thought I'd mention it because it was, uh, I thought it was rather humorous that this young woman was just, well, more people need to know about that. (laughs) I said, well, you know, people find out about it as they need to, and um, we encourage people to spread the word, and a lot of people find out about it and listen to a session or two or attend a group or two or have a worksheet experience or two or three, and that's all they need. And they walk away from it, and they stay away from it. And that's got to be okay because, you know, uh, the whole point of this work is that each of us learn to tune into our own inner guidance. The primary point of this work is that there is a an access point within you to a higher level of wisdom. And that's where we want to direct people. We want to make sure that uh, it's like um, the, the uh, radio show session I did years ago titled, um, because Krishnamurti had written, um, he'd written a bit of an essay, I will call it, and it was titled, Truth is a Pathless Land. You can't find the truth by listening to what somebody else is saying. And, and, and the truth can't be spoken. It's like they talk about in the Tao Te Ching in the beginning of it. It said, you know, the way, the truth, the actuality of life can't be spoken about. It has to be experienced. And so if that's the case, as so many of these deep spiritual traditions tell us, If I elevate somebody to to any level of a pedestal, I'm making a mistake that's going to make it harder for me to step into that relation, that active relationship with that source of guidance. You could call it creativity, insight, inspiration. You know, divine inspiration, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be harder for me to access that if I put somebody else up on a pedestal at any level. So this is, you know, one of the things that I'm not sure that people get, but I hope they get when we talk about things like the Way of Mastery and the Course in Miracles and the book. A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg, that the essence of it is not that you're you're being groomed or trained or taught to follow somebody, some person, but to become exposed to some teaching that lets you access the source for your own true guidance, your own connection to what is real beyond beyond everything that's physical, and let that you know, let yourself start using that as a re- on a regular basis 
as your guidance, as your guidance system. And um, my personal experience has been the more I do that, the more I practice with a worksheet process where I'm actively saying the words, I cancel my need to be right, I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. The more I practice doing that, the more I have a a felt sense of an experience of those words creating a shift in me and, and taking on a different meaning. As I've talked about frequently, when I first began this work and I read the, the line, you know, I cancel my need to be right, I, my mind would say, what does that mean? What do I have to do to cancel this or that? My mind wants to step in with that conscious, logical, figuring it out part of my mind. And the value comes, it's almost like the value in a mantra. If you find a mantra and you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, the value isn't even so much in the words as it is as it is in stepping out of the figuring it out part of your mind. I really liked when I interviewed um, Pierre Pratervand about his most recent book, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. And in there he tells the story about intention and the power of intention. And there was this one spiritual teacher who was very well known, very liked in the village. And along comes a young student who was so eager to learn that he wanted to be around the master all the time. And in that tradition, the theory is that if you are worthy or when you're worthy, or when your your teacher, your guru, your master deems you to be worthy, the master will give you a mantra, and that will be your path to spiritual enlightenment. So this one young student was so eager, and yet the master didn't really think he was that bright and found him quite the annoyance and had much more stimulating conversations with other students. But this student was so focused that he actually slept on the master's doorstep at night just in case the master would wake and need something. And this one night, the master didn't know that this student was, you know, sleeping on his doorstep, he positioned himself in a way so that when the master got up to go use the bathroom outside, he tripped over the student. And so the master, in his frustrated, angry response, yelled at the student, you, always you. And then he said to them, leave this village and don't come back until I call for you. 
And the student's intention was so focused that when he heard the master yell at him, you, always you, he assumed this was the, the master giving him his personal spiritual mantra. And he gladly left the village with his personal mantra, you, always you. And he started wandering, just doing his spiritual work, being out on the, the road. And, and a couple of years passed. And his journey had taken him full cycle, you know, many hundreds of kilometers around the area. And he didn't even realize that he was back near the original village where his master had lived. And he came to the village, and the people there had just had, there was a widow whose son had had died. And in that situation, in that culture, that was a very bad thing, because now she's got no man to take care of her. So she saw this vagabond, this, we'll call him a holy man, because he was you know, living very simply and was just so kind and just always doing his prayer and meditation. And she went to him and she said, please perform a miracle and bring my son back. And he said, oh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not capable. I've never done anything like that. He said, but I will, you know, I will pray for you and I will you know, use the mantra that my master gave me. And so he goes into his meditation, just you, always you. And the miracle happens. And the young boy wakes up on the funeral pyre before they light it and climbs down. And they all start trying to bring him gifts from the village. And he said, oh, no, it's not for me. It's for my, you know, it, this is all due to my master. And I don't do any of this. And and they said, well, who's your master? And he gave them the name. And they said, oh, he's just the next town over. And they all went over to the next town to give their offerings to the master. The master, like, what What? what are you talking about? I don't have any students who could do anything like that. <clears throat> and they said, well, it's so-and-so, and he's right over here. And he said, you're his master. And finally, from a couple years earlier, this memory triggers in, in the master's mind and he said well then tell him to come and see me so they went back and they told him and and he says oh this is it this is my my time because the master sent me away and said don't come back until i call for you this must mean i've done something right so he hurries back and the master doesn't even really recognize him does I, and then finally the memory gets jogged and he tells him the story about how he believes the master gave him his mantra of you, always you. And that's all he did at the funeral pyre for this young man was to just go into the prayer and you, always you. And, of course, the master realized this person's intention to be on target to learn, to grow, to be loving, to whatever word you want to use for it, the intention was far more valuable than the intellectual capacity 
that would have made him a good conversationalist for the master back along the line. Just all of the different ways that these stories, these teachings, the masters tell us, look, it's okay to be smart, but that's not how you're going to reach your your true goal, right? Whether you want to call it enlightenment or love or peace or bliss, you're not going to figure it out. Dr. Michael Rice says there are all these pseudo-solutions for what he calls the non-being mind. The being mind is true love, is the mind of Christ, is the mind of the anointed one, it's the one mind, it's it's that that awareness, that intelligence that goes beyond the intellectual and the logical and the conscious and the rational. And their spiritual faculties are, you know, they're available to all of us, although we're not really taught and trained in them and we haven't developed them. But the angry mind the conscious logical mind, the rational mind, the frightened mind has a cheap knockoff for each of the spiritual faculties. And the cheap knockoff for insight or intuition or divine inspiration is, I'm going to figure it out. And it's the single biggest trap for the egoic mind or the non-being mind for for most of us as humans. It's why, you know, it's a part of why in my bottom line observations number five it says my greatest strengths will at times be my greatest weaknesses my greatest assets at times my greatest liabilities and it is an okay thing as a matter of fact it's a really good thing at some levels in our culture to have an above average intellectual capacity and yet there are going to be times when my above-average intellectual capacity is going to be my greatest weakness. Because if I rely on it to resolve issues that don't, that don't reside within the conscious logical realm, I'm just going to keep slamming my head into the wall with no progress being made. I found myself this morning in my uh, work around the house before uh, getting ready for the physical therapist to come. Thinking about, there was was some conversation that was happening yesterday with a couple different people about legacy and how do you want to be remembered. And um, and these these phrases that have come through these different spiritual teachings started bubbling up in my mind like you can either be right or happy right it's it's okay to be smart but it's far better to be loving and so in that how do you want to be remembered how do i want to be remembered personally i don't really care if i'm remembered if i had to have any investment in one or the other I'd far more prefer people remember me as gentle and loving than people remember me as brilliant or genius. 
And that's not any, you know, uh, kudos to me or quality. This just something that's been in me. I remember this since my early single-digit years, feeling that what I'm supposed to be doing, and this is not thinking it, it's feeling that what I'm supposed to be doing is being loving. And we've talked about it in a variety of different ways, but so that that's where my mind has been going this morning and um and since nobody's got a hand up, I think I'll I'll, I'll take us back to the the walk in the physical. And um We left off with a, a, a series of questions, and just as a quick refresher, Christian Sundberg wrote this book, A Walk in the Physical, based on the fact that he has memories of having an existence before his physical body and choosing to come into the physical to do certain, to have certain experiences and grow in certain ways. And as part of this book that he's written, there's a series of essays. And he he claims that this is not his human intelligence writing these essays. These are messages he's been given from deep meditations and spiritual teachers, etc. Guides, if you call them, whatever you want to call them. And that the answers that he's come up with for commonly asked questions after he started telling people I've had this pre-life experience that the answers are also a result of this a collective consciousness it's not just one person saying here I'm going to tell you the truth because he says several times in the beginning of this book I don't know what the true answers to these things are I'm not any definitive guru. I'm just a person, and I've had these experiences, and I'm sharing them, and if they're of value to you, great. Use them. If not, let them go. So here's a question, and this inspired answer is, the question is, I've always wondered if you meet your friends and relatives in the afterlife and spend eternity with them, What about all their friends and relatives and their friends and relatives? You couldn't spend all your time with the people you know if they're spending time with the people they know. Do we exist in all places at the same time? And the answer comes as, when we consider higher realms from within our local constraints, meaning the physical body, the experience of space and time, when we consider the higher realms from this physical realm, our intellect can come to all sorts of weird conclusions. And these are duality-based and duality-rules-based conclusions. That is, we assume local constraints apply to the higher realms 
things can seem logically confusing. So, you know, hidden in there is the statement that the rules that exist at our level don't exist at higher realms levels. There are different rules at different levels of existence. Just like at some levels of scale in the physical, the Newtonian laws of physics apply. And at other levels of scale in the physical, quantum physics rules apply or patterns apply. The answer goes on and says, we are ultimately one, one, capital O-N-E. Even as individuality is preserved. Now, our conscious logical mind cannot conceive of this. And we can't have a perception of it from the conscious logical realm. The answer goes on and says, and there is very, very wide variety of ways in which we may spend our, quote, time, close quotes, even with individuals or with the all, capital A-L-L, all, or as individuals who know that we are one with all that is. Those relationships are not likely, and they are not like the ones that we have here on Earth because the ones we have here on Earth are bound by physical, biological, and space-time constraints. Our, quote, true, close quotes, relationships are enjoyed with far less limitation. Now just breathe and soften and let yourself tap into what's your body doing when you hear this, when there are statements being made here that directly contradict the laws and rules of time and space. Again, you can't figure it out. You can't make it make sense at a conscious logical level. So the invitation is suspend all of that, just like in every worksheet we're asked to cancel our need to be right, cancel our need for anything or anything to anyone to change including ourselves put that conscious logical mind on the shelf for now like a tool to be picked up later for a situation where it might be useful and ask to be shown to be ushered into an experience that can't be found and we can't find a guide to that experience through the conscious logical mind. So what they're saying is, you know, like Michael was saying yesterday on his show, fear is a demon to be cast out. Fear not, fear not, fear not. This message is all across Yeshua's teachings. So if you have any kind of fear that... I'm not going to be able to have the experiences I want with the people that I love after I'm dead. Fear not. Because 
the game changes, the rules change, your level of experience will change exponentially beyond what you can conceive of right now. Breathe and soften and ask to be shown another way to look at your current situation. The next question in the list is, are there any instances where someone is bored in heaven because all things they like aren't available there and the only things they can do are things that don't interest them? (laughs) Oh, my. My, my the, the laughter comes because of several things. Um, my brain just flashed on the talk that we listened to in the support group last night with Michael Singer and a patient of mine who his mother just died, and um, the hospice person had um, the hospice team had an art and music therapist on the team, and and the music therapist had come into my patient's mother's room and played the harp for her for 30 minutes, which was lovely and you might say heavenly, right? We have this image of angels in heaven playing harps, etc. And all of it started to, you know, just clearly tickle my funny bone, that's why I'm laughing, because, again, this is trying to project my very tiny limited experience onto something that goes far beyond it in each and every moment. And then the answer here is exactly in line with what Michael Singer was talking about in our lesson last night in the support group, which is all you're really wanting when your mind says you want this piece of candy or you want this car or you want this bank account or you want this job or you want this lover, all you want is the feeling you think you're going to get when you have it. But acquiring things from the outside doesn't work. You don't have to take anybody's word for that. Just watch. How long is it? After you get something that you've wanted for a long time or you've really intensely wanted, how long is it before your next negative emotional state or the next craving comes up? So it's there to be observed in your life experience that the physical things you can acquire, the relationships, etc., do not provide the permanent answer to what you say you need or you want. So this answer reads, one is not truly made happy by the things one likes. One is made happy by the true knowing, experiencing, and expressing of one's being. Knowing and or expressing the connectedness, the freedom, the creativity, and love of one's being and this includes serving others. So it's about 
in the lecture last night, that same kind of statement would have been summarized by Michael Singer as, it's about the flow of Shakti. It's about the flow of life energy. And when that Shakti is flowing and moving up, you're in that bliss state and you like it. It's the energy you like. It's the experience you like from that pure life energy perspective. That's what we're going for when we think we want a new car or a new stereo, etc. This answer goes on and says, Meanwhile, many heavenly environments are thought responsive and all manner of, quote, things, close quotes, all manner of forms are available for enjoyment. Yet there is a certain something that only the call of real challenge provides. So many people choose to return and re-engage in new ways within a universe of constraints like ours here in the physical realm. They do that so to, as, as to expand the nature of their being through direct experience. You know, there, there are some people who get this at different levels here in the physical. Sometimes I, I, I run across quotes of people who love to travel, and the, the quote is, you know, don't buy another house, take a lot more trips. Because you... You change as you have new experiences, especially if you're willing to have that positive interpretation filter engaged. Because invariably, when we go on a trip, we will have experiences that we're not preferring. There's a glitch in the transportation. There's a weather problem, we'll get a back spasm when we're supposed to be taking a hike up a mountain. And yet, the experience expands us. So, again, I probably shouldn't need to remind people, but our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, it'll put a hand up on the phone queue, and I will turn on the microphone, and we'll have, have a conversation. And please feel free to do so, even if I'm in the middle of reading something. So, the next question offered is, as we age... We begin to develop mental illnesses of all sorts. When we pass over, will these mental illnesses affect us on the other side? And the answer that's offered is, having a body is like wearing a biological constraint set. When the body dies, when the biology dies, the biological constraints vanish with it. When the body dies, all is healed, exclamation point. From my pre-birth experience, I remember reviewing the precious, wonderful quality that a certain spirit had developed 
as a result of experiencing a long neurogenitive disease while they were a human. In other words, the rigors of mental illness or other neurological challenge are actually an amazing opportunity for the spirit to, and now they're saying, you know, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to say this. How do I say this? These challenges are an amazing opportunity for the spirit to, quote, refine, close quotes, the way it interacts with and experiences reality. Parentheses. This is extremely hard to describe from here in this physical realm. And I acknowledge that it can be very hard for people to swallow this pill to accept this as the truth, especially from the human ego's perspective. And it's one of the challenges I have in presenting work like this or deep spiritual teachings to people who've had severely abusive childhoods or really physically challenging ailments or traumas or a whole series of negative life events with friends and neighbors and and family members getting sick and bosses leaving a job and dumping extra work on them. And from that perspective, to offer someone in, in one of those extremely challenging situations a thought that says, hey, you know what? Your higher self is choosing this so that you can grow and expand in different ways. Well, you know, if I would say something like that to someone without us having an established relationship and without them having actively chosen to engage these deeper spiritual teachings, I'd be lucky if they didn't spit at me or slap me in the face or turn and stomp away and never want to talk to me again. That's how challenging it can be for the egoic, the conscious, logical mind to make sense of this or to accept a perspective like that. So it is, you know, I've I've had two different people in my office in the past week who are talking about a deep spiritual crisis because there are so many tsunamis of challenge and trauma and upset in their life that they're questioning their faith. You know, Christian, Catholic, Jewish, doesn't matter. If they believe in a God and they're praying to a God and their life just keeps getting worse and worse and they're doing all they can think of to try and make it better, if if they stay in the conscious logical process that says, if I, I say and do the right prayers or if I say and do the right things and pray and offer this up, it's going to get better and then it just keeps getting worse? Yes, logically it makes sense to question the existence of God. And yet, 
earlier in this very talk, we were mentioning how the, the rules don't apply equally at different levels of existence. We are here in this physical realm and we have these constraints. We're here and as long as we stay locked in the conscious, logical, rational approach to something, we are not able to access creativity, insight, inspiration, you know, gut feelings, hunches, etc. So they're offering in this answer that there is a higher perspective, that when seen from that perspective, the rigorous challenges of living in a deteriorating body or through extremely challenging mental issues are actually more than worth the difficulty from a higher realm, from your higher self's perspective, from your spiritual growth perspective. So, So, 563-999-3581, how's this landing for you? What are your thoughts? What are your questions? What are your answers or testimonials? I know I've been away, away for a while, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm just anxious to hear myself talk nonstop for the whole hour. <laughs> So let us know how is this landing for you. I have uh, someone else I was working with, and they were talking about how the uh, the intellectual questioning and processing of things really works well for them sometimes, and gets them stuck at others. Six one zero is this Susan? Hi. Hello. Hi, Dr. Kim. Hi. I had some questions about Pierre Pradovan's talk, and they're really none of my business. <laughs> so, I mean, because personal. He did two things that I was curious about. One, he talked about the fact that for an hour and a half every morning, he prepares himself to be nothing but love out in the world. <clears throat> And I thought, good grief. If he has to do that much work, there must be something going on to have to have it be that arduous every morning to clean himself up. That was one thought. And the other thought, and maybe I didn't understand him, but he said he left his wife, the woman he loved the most, the person he loved the most in all the world, he left his wife. And I thought, there's a story there, and I've gotten the picture that Pierre Pradovan is one of the most loving, most wonderful people on the planet. But to hear those two things, I thought there's a whole other side of the story here, and I want to know about it. And okay, I don't know but, what... You know, but, but that only happens because, you know, you somehow or another put the most loving 
gentle, understanding person on the planet on a pedestal. No, I have not. Because, yes, well, you I have. Think... Because the most loving, gentle, understanding person on the planet is still just a person. And they've got, you know, physical needs and preferences and idiosyncrasies and life history with family of origin and and that's not always going to be compatible with mm-hmm. the the people that they love or want to be around i mean you know look at look at anyone you know mm-hmm. How long have they been married? Oh, I know people that have been married 50 years or 60 years or 70 years. Okay, do you have a fantasy in your head that they have just been walking down the primrose path for 30 or 40 or 50 years? If you have that fantasy in your head, please, please disabuse yourself of it. Get rid Mm -hmm. of it. It's a fantasy. And if you learn of somebody who's been married three times, do you have some fantasy in your head that this is a deeply wounded person who has no personnel, no uh, social skills, et cetera, relationship skills? And if that's in your head, please let it go. Mm -hmm. Because it just, things don't work that way. Things are not cut and dried the way your conscious, logical mind wants to make them be cut and dried. And, you know, you heard Pierre Pradivan say that he spends an hour and a half preparing himself to be the most loving person he can, and then you assigned the word arduous to that. Well, what if it's not arduous for him at all? What if it's what he's called to do and it's how he prefers to spend his time and now that he's in his 80s um, he has the luxury of doing that you know in in concert with his choice to live a very simple life he doesn't need to make a lot of money he doesn't spend a lot of money he doesn't have to keep a big corporation going by working you know excessive hours every day or week. So he's made that choice. So what if there's nothing arduous about it at all? What if, like, mm. that's his... Um, I'm going off into into uh, my Disney world for an hour and a half every morning simply because I choose yeah. to. And, you know, the the idea that he was married, he had this wonderful marriage, and then something happened between them, and he made the choice to leave. And he either made the choice to leave and then went into a big depression, or he was having a big struggle with depression or a spiritual crisis in his life, and that's what led him Mm. to leave. We don't know. But he said Mm. both are true. He's had a very difficult time, and, you know, kudos to him. As this renowned writer, spiritual teacher, um, seminar leader, etc., he's not trying to say, 
um, do like I do because I'm so great. He's saying we're all in this together. Use the tools. Find what works for you. None of us is greater than another. And here's some evidence of it. I struggle too. Does that provide a different perspective for you to, to challenge, <laughs> yes. to, to rest into, to see? Yep. I I feel called short, called up short, called on the carpet for putting somebody on a pedestal. I had no idea I had done that. <clears throat> but well, does right. it seem so, like it now? Okay. Does it seem like it yep. now when you step back and look at it? Okay. It does. So, good. All right. So here's somebody else with a hand up. I'll leave your microphone on. So air code 314. Yes. Hi, Dr. Tim. Um, is it Doug? Yes, it is. Welcome. And I... You know, last night we were talking about Michael Singer, and he gave this technique for, uh, and I talked to you about it a little last night, too. I just wanted to, well, for, for dealing with samskaras, samskaras, and I wanted to just bring it up briefly again. Uh, I was working with that this morning as much as possible, and I, my understanding is that if something's disturbing you, you just allow it allow yourself to feel it and to sit in that and to feel it in your heart and just keep allowing that to move in you and perhaps that burns off or moves through and that's it. It's that simple. That's the idea. That's the, the thing to do. And I, yeah, the, I was working the, the with that. The assumption is, go ahead, you were working with that and? Well, I... I felt it for a long, long time. You know, it's like the, the, the feeling is strong and the emotion, the, the, the power of that, it just is there and there and there. But that's the idea. Just keep staying in that until it shifts, right? Yes. Yes, because okay. the essence of it is, it's just like, you know, it's a kind of a corollary to what we were talking about earlier in, in this show today is that, my conscious logical mind makes the assumption and 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 without any adjustment or accommodation it takes the response i would have to a physical pain and applies it to my mental emotional pain and thinks if i'm having a mental emotional pain i better do something to get it to stop and I'm going to be thinking that it's being caused by someone or something outside of me because that's the way we've been trained in this culture. And the essence of this message and this teaching is it's not being caused by anyone or anything outside of me. So the idea that I'm going to be doing something to get it to stop is erroneous. I'm already causing it. And in the talk that Michael Singer was giving yesterday, the idea was that most of what I'm feeling as discomfort or pain or upset 
is coming because I've closed down my heart, my heart space. Now, we experience that as my heart closes, kind of like a reflex to the pain. But the teaching that he was giving last night is that we're doing it. We're choosing it without knowing, right? We're choosing it before conscious awareness. And we can choose, once we be aware of that, we can choose to breathe and soften and stay open rather than close down. Now, when we stay open, we will still feel the pain and discomfort. The difference is we won't be adding energy to it. We won't be locking it down in our energy system. It will move through us. It will burn through the sanskara. Now, that just for the other listeners, what the samskara is, is the idea it's a mental, emotional energy that we've created by trying to hold on to an experience in our lives or push away an experience in our lives rather than just stay open to the flow of life. And it's the samskaras, like stones in a creek, that the flow of life energy keeps smashing into and causing turbulence and splashing and white water rapids and things like that, rather than just letting the flow of life energy move through us effortlessly, filling us with its, its, its rising energy, its shakti, its life energy, its chi, whatever you want to call it, which if we step back and just experience it, will leave us in bliss. The reason we're not feeling bliss is because we, are, we refuse to go with the flow of life in that teaching. And he offers, try it, watch, see what happens. Breathe, soften, stay open, and cancel any goals that you have and ask to be shown what is the samskara, what is the hidden part of my mind that's either trying to push something away that's just a natural part of the flow of life or hold on to something and not let it flow through me because it needs to flow to be alive and to avoid stagnation. And so that was the essence of that teaching. And he said, as you do that, you will experience the energy more intensely. It's like Michael Rice says in his teachings, keep your breath open. Why? Because the breath is like the on-off switch for your body's emotional energy system. So you keep your breath moving, the emotional energy system stays on. When you do that, you will feel your emotions more strongly. And yet, they will be moving through you rather than having negative energy added to them and get locked down in your system. It's very, very much the same teaching to my eye and ear. So, that's I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense for you, Doug. Thank you for the question. Thank you, Susan, yes. for your comments here at the end. And I will mute you both so you can listen in for the second hour. I greatly appreciate the comments and the input. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it. You're, you're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you.
So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio and today is Wednesday, August the 30th, 2023 and our calling number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in, and I'll just say we're working on changing some things on the homegrown garden. We had talked a lot about that yesterday and about the location of the earth and and, uh, different things and what you can do to change the environment to increase pollinators, and uh, we've added pictures of our progress as we've gone through, and so we're putting all of that out on the website so that you can look at it and uh, enjoy it and if you have any questions if you want to help starting one of your own let us know and I see Susan's hand up I don't know if this is left over from Dr. Tim or not so I'll turn on your microphone hi Susan hi Jeannie yeah it was turned how are you left over I'm I'm doing well thanks how are you good I am good I'm good thank you good thank you for your offer to um, buy that little crash that I showed on there. Um, they yeah, are really if beautiful. It's, hmm? If it's still available, yes, I definitely love it. You know, um, what we're talking about is our, um, Susan and them have a, a sale and it's donations for the items and, and one of the items that they showed was uh, the characters in the manger scene, you know, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and Aria loves the manger scene. In fact, the other day we were down in the den and where I had the manger scene set up at Christmas, for some reason it just clicked and she goes, where is the family? <laughs> and I said, oh, I said, well, we packed them up with the Christmas decorations. I said, we'll be getting them back out again. But she absolutely loves it. She would rearrange them. She would, you know, move um, one character to a different place and and uh, so it, it was funny. She really likes it. And, but she does always ask, why do you leave Jesus as a baby? Because he did grow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one has she loves with baby for sure. Yeah. I know. But it's it's wood. It's beautiful. And it is beautiful. So, I said it was hand-carved, and I trust it is. It doesn't look as if it's machine-made at all. But I don't know for sure now that yeah, I've that's said fine. that. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful, well, though. It is beautiful. I told I I emailed the church secretary today and said, go down there because there are volunteers going through all the time, and they're allowed to take if they want something. They can buy it right then and there. So um, right. I said, if you can snag that and put it aside, and she said she would look. She hasn't let me know whether she. I imagine it's still there. I've had one yeah. other people. Uh, one other person asked me for something too that's for sale there. It's really quite wonderful to have it be not for. I mean, the church and the refugee center definitely need money, but to have it be basically take it if you need it and yeah. give us a donation if you can. It's so nice in this day and age now where people can't afford things. They're struggling right. so. so right, exactly. Anyway. I'm glad you're doing good. And Michael has joined us. Welcome, Michael. I can't hear you talking. You're muted. 
I know. You want me to unmute. Okay. I'll do it just for you. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Did I hear Susan's voice there? Yep, you did. Oh, cool. How are you, young I, lady? I'm a, I'm a leftover. I'm okay, thank you. I'm a leftover from oh. Dr. Tim's question. Okay. Well, we love Jeannie and I were talking about that little crash, that little set of crash family figures that we're giving away or selling at our yard sale. I won't charge right. you an arm and a leg, Dee. You can you can send whatever you want, or if you want me to name a price, I will. Sometimes it makes it easier. Either way, and uh, let me know what it would cost to box it up and ship it to me too, and I'll include that in the donation. Na- as well. Name it and we'll claim it. Uh-huh, that's yep. pretty nice. Do you just tell us what to send, young lady? Okay. And include the shipping, Very nice of course. To send. Thanks. Cool. Well, anything else on your mind from from your leftover state of uh, of existence for today? <laughs> Not at the moment. Thanks. Okay. Cool. Well, have a blessed one. Thanks. All right. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have any questions in the uh, chat room? Anything happening in the? Uh, the only question um, that I had gotten um, was someone using the Avacyn, and they said that they felt like when they used it that all this stuff was coming up and everything. And I uh, explained to them about a healing crisis, but you might want to okay. add something to that. They were almost to the point of, I'm not going to use this thing because it brings stuff up. Okay. All right. Well, that's um, definitely a, a typical response uh, for people who pick up worksheets or the Avacyn or anything to do with healing because, of course, it can't come up if it's not there. If it's in there, if it's an energy that is of a disintegrative nature, remember in the Aramaic language, the word sin is an archery term. When you fire at the target and you miss the target, the scorekeeper yells, sin, you're off the mark. That's all the word means. If I put an energy that's off the mark into my structure, there are many mechanisms I can use to hide it from myself. I can hold my breath. I can project it into my brain's image of everybody else and blame everybody else. There's the essence of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, is that when people have things inside of them that they refuse to deal with, they repeatedly have to face those things. And basically, all of the mechanisms of the culture that help us to keep from facing things are causes of disease. Like, for instance, if you don't like feeling this emotion or that or you're upset or, you know, your anxiety, you can go take a pill and, my goodness, how cool is that? My my anxiety went away until you stop taking the pill. <laughs> and then what happens? Well, the pill didn't do anything to get rid of it. And if you want to be free of it, you're going to have to either take the pill for life, or at least, pardon me, appear to be free of it. You're going to have to take the pill for life and deal with the side effects of it. And every drug is a disease disguised as a cure, so you can rest assured there will be several more sets of symptoms and several more drugs to come along. And then those drugs 
and you keep, let's say, for instance, you eat food like, like food is a drug, you know, junk food, sugar, caffeine, starches, food cooked to death, you can keep eating that and weaken yourself sufficiently that you can keep things held down and hidden from yourself. Uh, when things start to move, you know, we, we have a saying in this culture that it drove him to drink. What drove him to drink? Something inside of him that he didn't want to feel and he didn't want to deal with. As soon as it would start to come up, out came the scotch. It drove him to drink. And, you know, on and on and on. The, the garbage food of the culture, the hostility, the busyness. You know, we, we did a workshop in a, a prison actually a super high security prison in Ionia, Michigan, back a few years ago. And there was a teacher there who carried on in the prison and did uh, an eight-week support group series. Actually, Michelle was part of it that was on the show yesterday. She helped to, uh, to carry on that process. And then they taught a Laws of Living course. And there was a ticket price to get into Laws of Living. And the price was that people had to, to turn in five worksheets a day over the period of the eight-week support group before they could get into the class. That was kind of like their admission. What was found, you know, Laws of Living was originally designed for the prison system, and what they found was that if people didn't pay for it, they didn't do the work, they didn't get involved, and it didn't do them any good. So there's always been a tradition that someone, like when we had a pretrial release program in, in uh, Georgia, there was always a fee involved. If the person was in prison, they had to pay for that class. And if they didn't, they didn't do it, they didn't get anything out of it. So that's been a tradition. Well, in this super high security prison in Ionia, uh, people are in there from 25 years to life, and they are locked in their cells 23 out of 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unless they have, you know, unless they're on the slave list where they get, you know, 50 cents an hour to go work in the commissary or what have you. Did you know that the only place in America where slavery is legal is in prisons? Yes, it was never abolished from prisons in America. Unfortunately, slavery has not been abolished in America, but that's another story. So if they, you know, maybe have a job in the commissary or what have you, they might get out for a couple hours, you know, a couple of days a week or whatever, but otherwise they're locked in their cells. They get an hour to go exercise, but otherwise 23 hours in their cells. Every person who registered for that class, when it came to the day to turn in the worksheets, had exactly the same excuse. They were all too busy. 23 hours a day locked in a cell by yourself, and I was too busy to do that work. Why? Because nobody wants to feel and nobody wants to deal with that stuff that's in there. Everybody wants to be rid of it. Nobody wants the diseases that come with it, but nobody wants to feel it and deal with it. Well, here's the trick. Anything that weakens you, again, busyness, you run, 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 you keep yourself under stress, that keeps your energy field shut down, junk food, alcohol, drugs, hatred, rage, vengeance, violence, you know, all sorts of things keep people from feeling what's going on inside of them. Anything that vitalizes someone means that they're going to start to have, quote, unquote, as you said, stuff come up. They're going to have to deal with what they've been hiding from themselves. If you don't deal with it, I guarantee you it's the stuff that's going to kill you ultimately. And so 
the idea is, and you know, there's a whole section on the website, and I'm sure Jeannie's probably already put it in the uh, in the notes, or, or will, as I mentioned it. She just does that sort of thing. There's a whole section on the website on healing crisis. What does a healing crisis look like? When I hit a new level of vitality, you know, imagine that we've got a vitality meter. It goes from one to t- to ten. And I'm at a level 5 vitality, and I have a level 7 toxin in me. Now, I can, let's say I might, you know, experience around the edges of my life that toxin. Maybe it's rage and fear and sadness. And I say, boy, I'd, I sure would love to get rid of this rage and fear and sadness from my life. I sure would love to get rid of this rage and fear and sadness from my life. But... If I go and eat a meal of sprouts and fresh raw food and I'm vitalized, all of a sudden my fear and rage and sadness is going to start to move and be in my face. It's going to start to come up because I've been vitalized. The whole body of work that we've got here is an invitation for people to stop doing things that devitalize them, that drug them, and allow them to keep their trauma experiences hidden so they can come up. That is what the whole purpose of this work is, is so that they can come up. One of the things that the Avison does, you know, one of the ways, other ways that people shut themselves down is by restricting, by living in a world of uptight. You know, think about being uptight. And what happens? Muscle fibers are locked up. Locked up muscle fibers Restrict blood flow. Restriction of blood flow inhibits the delivery of oxygen, nutrition, enzymes, uh, hormones to cells, and inhibits the removal of wastes from those cells. And so that's how a lot of people live in order not to feel uptight. And I'll, I'll own, you know, actually you've heard Patrick McGann on the phone. He was my first massage therapist back, oh, geez, 50 years ago. I met him in Atlanta. And I had been in the business world. I had three businesses. I had 60 employees. I had a Mark here on one side of my driveway. I had another route on the other. I had a, a, a penthouse apartment in one city and homes in two other cities. And I worked 19 hours a day, 12 days a week. You know, that's the kind of lifestyle I was in. And when Patrick first put his hands on me, he was like, I mean, he would almost literally cry because his hands hurt trying to break through the stiffness, the tightness, the lockup that I had in my body. And I'm still working out aspects of that 50 years later, yes. When you realize that you're dealing with generational patterns, they don't all go because I say, oh, I would like them all to go. There's a work to be done. So what the Avison does is those places that are tight and locked up, one of the first things it does by what it does is it heats the blood and warm blood flowing over muscle fibers causes them to relax. You know, depending on whose numbers you take, we have somewhere between 60 and 80 billion capillaries. Capillaries are the only way that oxygen gets to a cell, the only way that nutrition, the only way that enzymes, the only way that minerals, the only way that hormones get to a cell. They have to be delivered through that blood vessel, and that blood vessel is, oh, anywhere from a tenth to a hundredth the thickness of a hair. That's how those 
nutrients and such, oxygen, get into the cell and how wastes are removed from the cell. Well, at the head of each of those 60 to 80 billion capillaries, there's a, of, there's a set of muscle fibers. When those muscle fibers all tighten up, it's called sympathetic dominance. It comes from stress. It comes from fear. It comes from fright. And what happens is it restricts blood flow, and it does that for a very good reason, because in the jungle, if you were under that kind of fear or stress mode, there was something chasing you, and you wanted to be able to run or fight. And so a lot of the delivery system of blood throughout the body shut down. Like, you know, if a bear is chasing you, you don't need to do a calculus problem. So you don't need the higher centers of your brain, not required. So the blood flow to there is removed. You don't need to, you know, if you're a woman, ovulate, or if you're a man, produce sperm. Those functions are shut down. Blood flow is cut off. You don't need to have a bowel movement. Blood flow to most of the colon is shut off in that fear state. You don't need to generate red blood cells. The spleen is cut off from blood flow. You're not going to need to take a nap. The ability to rest is gone. You're not going to have to digest food. The blood flow is removed from all of those functions. They're called parasympathetic activities. And the blood flow is shunted to sympathetic activities. That is, when a sympathetic dominance strikes, the blood flow is shunted to the large muscles, legs and arms and lungs to take in more oxygen. And it's how we survive. However, we're not designed for survival, but most people, because of their fear, their anxiety, their rage, and the stress they live under, stand or live in that sympathetic dominant state. One of the things it does is it covers up pain. So what the Abyssin does is it one of the first functions that it fulfills as it starts to warm the blood flow through the palm of the hand, you know, there's a heat exchange in the palm of your hand. It's called an arterial venous anastomosis. Fancy word for it's a, a literal radiator and absorber of heat. You know, if you're, uh, if you're cold, what do you do automatically? You rub your hands together. What happens when you rub your hands together? You create friction. Friction creates heat. The heat is absorbed through the heat absorber, and literally your whole body is warmed. Notice if you become overstressed or overheated, what happens? Your palms sweat. What, what's going on? That arterial venous anastomosis is pushing heat out of the body. So when one lives in a sympathetic dominant state and things are shut down and restricted, heat poured over those muscles, creating the restriction of blood flow, causes the muscle fibers to let go and relax, and opens blood flow. If there's stress, trauma, pain, things that are going to come up hidden in your cells, what's going to happen when you hit that new level of vitality? Remember our level five vitality? Gee, I want to get rid of that fear and that anger and that pain. I don't want to feel it, but I want to get rid of it. I'm at a level five vitality. If that toxin is a level seven that I want to get rid of, if it were to break loose and I'm only at a level five vitality, it could literally kill me physically. So it's not going to let loose. As I start to do things that 
strengthen, that build my vitality. And that's one of the things that the Avacyn does. It creates blood flow, oxygen delivery, and increases vitality. Anything that does that will cause things to quote unquote come up. So if you've got a, uh, a, a quantity, you know, let's say you've got a tea kettle full of toxins in your body, do you want them to exit your body? Whether they're physical, mental, emotional, chemical, whatever they are, do you want them to exit? And guess what? You're going to have to deal with it exiting. So the person who keys in and starts to do their work, they're at level five and they go to, and they, their toxicity is level seven. They do their work, they change their dietary regimen, they're engaging in forgiveness, they're focusing on cultivating their relationship with love. They put their hand in the and all of those things. Gee, they're now at a level six vitality. I'm feeling pretty good. I haven't felt this good in a long time. Keep, keep going, keep improving the dietary regimen, you're doing forgiveness work, you're taking the load off, you're increasing vitality, and you get to a level seven vitality. And you're like, wow, this is so cool. I haven't felt this good in years. And then you, you eat that next sprout salad or you do that next worksheet and you get to a level 7.5 vitality and you are just rocking and it's exciting. And you go to bed just so excited, man, I'm on top of the world. And in the morning, get up and you wonder if anybody got the number of the Mack truck that went through your room during night because you're lower than a snake's belly. What happened? All of that level seven toxicity broke loose, finally. Now your structure, instead of having to carry it around and carrying around toxicity like that, I would offer is the cause of all degenerative disease. When you start dumping that tea kettle, guess what? It's not going to feel good. You're not going to like it. Nobody likes it. However, if you've got the understanding, if you hang around long enough to build the brain cells and understand the process, then you step into willingness to embrace those things. You step into a state where it's, it becomes exciting to allow yourself to feel what perhaps hasn't been felt for decades, even if it's not Dr. Feelgood. And as you continue with every habit that increases your vitality, including the absent, blood flow improves, digestion improves. You move from sympathetic dominance to parasympathetic state. That means the rest centers kick in, digestion kicks in, regeneration kicks in. Improved generation of blood cells kick in. Elimination is increased. And everything moves in the right direction. So my offering would be, you might want to entertain shifting into willingness and say thank you to whoever or whatever brings up what you've been hiding from yourself. Because it's only when it comes up that you've got an opportunity to throw it out. As long as it's in hiding, you'll never get rid of it. It is desirable to step into that state. And that state is the state of willingness. I'm willing, you know, notice it's built right into the worksheet. I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. What are they? On a physical level, healing looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. 
On a mental level, healing looks like any kind of negative thought you've ever had and confusion. On an emotional level, healing looks like any kind of negative feeling you've ever had and depression. Think again of your system being an energy system. What goes into the system that creates symptoms and you drug yourself over is shut down and suppressed somewhere in the system. You dissociate from it. And now wherever that's stored, because the body is the mind, every cell in the body functions to store information, wherever it's stored, there's going to be the beginning of disease processes and degeneration there. Step into a state of willingness where, okay, I'm willing to be guided to do whatever it takes to vitalize, to strengthen, to move through these things, to get out of this sympathetic dominant state into a parasympathetic state where rest, digestion, elimination, reproduction all happen easily and comfortably and in a healthy way. That's what we're heading for. And that's the reason to use every tool, whether it's a worksheet, the commitment, or the Avacyn, they're all the same. They're all there to take us into the next level of vitality, which means they're there to support you in throwing off the next set of symptoms that need to be dealt with in your life. And actually, my Avacyn just heated up, and I just pushed the button to start it up and get my hand in it. I got involved in that conversation. I forgot to do it when I started the show. (laughs) <laughs> we have a hand so, Ms. up. So, Jeannie, there's, there's, there's my thought. Oh, great. Let's say hello. All right. 864, that's Mr. Joe. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. What's hey welcome, sir. How do you be? Just absolutely going to the airport, pick up my sister. So. Oh, well, that's sweet. All right. The sister that I know? No, this the oldest, Anne. She's... Uh, Ah, She's okay. coming in from Delray Beach, Florida. Yeah, my dad's turning 90. Uh, September 5th, we're having a little soiree on Saturday. Oh, nice. So. Well, I'm glad she was able to get a plane because there were a lot of canceled flights in Florida this weekend or this last yeah, year or two. Yeah, Delray's, yeah, we were we were concerned, but uh, everything looks good. She's, she's on her way. A plane's actually arriving earlier than anticipated, so. But I cool. wanted the reason I called was, you know, it, yeah, the reason I called was all the stuff you just said is just so, right? uh, yeah, this, this, just the nature of the Avison worksheets uh, and, and going through the, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Were you going through the turnstile, uh, maybe, you know, bumping <laughs> into the turnstile and realizing that, hey, I, wait a second, I, I have a pass here. I can work through this. And then, uh, you know, going through the turnstile as you look at the pain or the, you know, I just, I just left uh, Susan, my girlfriend, I just left her at her place because I'm going to go pick up Ann at the airport and then Ann and I are going to go back to my place. And it just didn't right. make any sense to, it didn't make any sense to have the three of us in one car. So it didn't make sense for Susan. Susan might come and visit later on someplace, but most likely not. Now, the reason I tell you that is because, okay, you know, whatever works, I'll, I'll talk to you later. As I'm going out the door, and this is yours truly, okay, I'm going out the door, I'm going to get in my car, as I'm driving down Route 85, let me going guess. to the airport. Let, let me guess. Huh? Let me guess. Oh, Did yeah, you okay, get an opportunity okay. to learn yeah. forgiveness? 
<laughs> it's a miracle. We got a winner, Johnny. What winner? What do we have for prizes there, G? <laughs> That's it. Work That's in the it. garden. I. Uh, oh, the, you know, it's just. I start in with the. Um, what what's what's her ulterior motives? What is she doing? Why didn't she come with me? Oh, uh, it's just like oh my gosh! Can the monkey just, mind kicking yeah, in. Eh? Yeah. Oh, the monkey mind is just it's it's just uh, it's so but it's so appealing to um, recognize it and and you know I wind up talking to myself because I'm my favorite person as you know. And, uh, you know, you just say to yourself, come on, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? What, why are you going I, I tell you what I'm going to do. There's one of the new Paul sections, just, you know, with our – excuse me, huh? I thought you were complete. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the – you know, in, in the uh, Mind Shifters and Still Point Breeding Club – each month we come out with a new set of 13 mind shifters. So it's the ever expanding mind shifters list. And one of the recent ones was, and I'll send you that whole list, the, the, this particular section, it's called overcoming a beguiling ego. So we've got 13 specific mind shifters for that. Just for you, Joe, I'll text. Stop them to it. You. you tease. Don't tease me, Rice. I'll come out there. I, 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 honest to God, I've got it. I've got a whole set just for you. <laughs> no, again. Pick a number again one to thirteen. The, pick a yeah, no- go ahead. Pick a number from one to thirteen. <laughs> well, go ahead. Listen, is this? It's like a game show. Number ten, please. Okay, just a second. Let me get you it have open. Number ten. She ready? Yeah. Unless okay. you've got it open, Jeannie. I don't, but I can open There's it. Real quick. I've got it. I'm just, it's it? just opening okay. now. Yep. Okay. Overcoming a beguiling ego. I think that's section 15. Let me look. And partnering in, let's see, partnering in sweetness, approval, and love, uh, healing issues in my tissues, healing blame, uh, Healing regulatory speech, being on purpose, 15, section 60, 15 is healing issues around people dying, 16, living is love. Ah, here we are, overcoming, it's section 17, overbecoming a beguiling ego. And so yours is number 10. So here's your mind shifter. Thank you. If if my mind is preoccupied with negativity, so this is 1710, if my mind is preoccupied with negativity, it is time for me to choose kindness and generosity. Mm. Wow. Wow. Great. That's That's... There's no question on that one. Do they come in? Do they come in like a six pack, or is there any kind of like you know? Uh, no, a thirteen, kind, a thirteen you know. pack. Yeah, you want me to read all thirteen of them to you? <laughs> I'd like, I'd like the, I'd like the so, baker's dozen. You want kindness? Okay, well, kindness well, we've got a baker's dozen. Yeah. So number one, 
In Section 17 in the Ever-Expanding Mind Shifters list, number one, overcoming mm-hmm. a beguiling ego is, I easily make time to cultivate in my mind and body the habit of functioning out of love. Mm. Mm. No matter the apparent reward of lower path behavior, it will always be easier and more profitable for me to opt for actions based on love. Functioning out of my true mind always results in me taking the highest and best action. Mm. I always listen to the guidance that strengthens behaviors based in love, generosity, and right action. When tempted to lash out, I remember that my physiology gets the original. Mm. Next one, living in true joy is not dependent on getting what I want. Mm. I'm always conscious of and cancel goals that prompt my mind to construct pained realities. Mm. Number nine, breathing consciously and tapping into love will heal the parts of me that lashes out at others. Ten, if my mind is preoccupied with negativity, it's time for me to choose kindness and generosity. That was the one you chose. Number 11, selecting behaviors based in love means I always win, even if my mind says I will lose. Mm, mm, mm. Twelve, perception is nothing more than a replicated construct from the past. Listening for and following guidance will always result in a higher outcome. Mm. And then finally, the last mind shifter in that section on overcoming a beguiling ego is a pained mind or body is always giving me the message that I need to do my work instead of listening to its fear and or hostility. Sweet. So which one of those fits, everyone? Oh, that's what it's for, (laughs) overcoming a beguiling ego. That's it. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And also, don't forget the Avison. I, uh, all the things uh, that you said about how it, it, it's helping with different aspects of my physiology. Um, it's just, just the aspect of putting my hand in, into the device and, and putting everything down and just being quiet and, you know, wait whatever it is, 15, 20, 30 minutes, both hands. It's just, uh, it's a noticeable change, uh, and the the aspect of vitality increasing, and, you know, always, what's great is it always seems to lead to better understanding and more peaceful results. Um, for example, like I said, I, I, I leave... My significant other, I walk away from her, and my monkey mind jumps in with the nonsense, but I attribute my ability or my willingness to to say, wait a second, look at, look at what you're doing, look at it, it's painful, you don't know, you're getting the original, you don't want that, forgive it, collapse the reality of it, move on, it's 
it's um, it works. Let's put it that way. Yeah, being vitalized is an important part of being able to do that because if if one is in a lower state of vitality, the monkey mind can run the show so easily. Oh, just uh, I'm. The other thing that I find fascinating is to witness other people and to just hold a space because I, I don't know, I'm guessing, but it just seems that sometimes you, you look at someone and you're like, oh, oh, my gosh, it's your monkey. It's the monkey. It's not you. You're, you're lashing out or you're some other type of anger or whatever, however you want to put it. And it's just, you know, you're busy or you're, you're trying to get something done. Okay, I get it, you know. So, but it's just that recognition and loving kindness to consider the fact that, hey, this, you know, who knows what's going on for that person. So, anyway, it's 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 really wonderful. And I, like I said, the Avison, can't say enough about that in terms of uh, different yeah, it's an awesome Aspects tool. Isn't it? Healing. My left, my left. I had my left shoulder. I would say that it's as healed as it's probably going to get, and that is, I really don't. I I couldn't sleep on my left side. Now I don't even think about it anymore. Um, awesome. And yeah, and I'm back doing some weightlifting and cardio, uh, and it's it's no worries. But it is. That's you know, fabulous. It's like the worksheets. It's just like the worksheets. I mean, you got to do the work, unfortunately, and that's why I, you know, I always ask you, and I, you know, at some point, I wish you'd come with some kind of pill form of kindness and, uh, uh, you know, some <laughs> there type you of go. Uh, baker's dozen. <laughs> I'll go. work on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. Here's what I'll do. I'll take. I'll print off these mind shifters and I'll cut them out individually, and I'll roll them up and I'll put them in a double lot clear uh, capsule and then you can just take them uh-huh. there. Nice. nice. Well, Who work. knows? It might, that might work. Yeah, that might work. You know, you're talking I'll about your waiting. shoulder. Um, there's, a, there's a lady who and I'm trying to think whether you would have met her at one of the intensives or not. She was Today? in her Later seventies probably should be private on you know in terms of name on the on the show, but right, probably okay. in her later seventies, okay. and she had had polio as a kid, and she had post polio syndrome, and she had had four joint replacements because of pained mm. joints, and her shoulder was so excruciatingly painful that she couldn't lift a glass of water. And is that Joan? She went to the doctors. Talking about Joan? Yeah. No. No. What was her name? No. She went okay. to the doctors mm-hmm. and they did X-rays and said, "Oh, it's bone. That shoulder is bone on bone. There's nothing we can do, but we're going to have to do another joint replacement." About the time that happened, she got the Avacyn, and two months mm-hmm. later, she was moving. Two months later, everything that the movers didn't move, she packed up, put in boxes, loaded in her car with the shoulder that she couldn't pick up a glass of water, unloaded, unpacked her car and her new mm. new home. You know, it just it's amazing the, uh, the the difference it can make. It's pretty cool. It is very cool. It's um 
it's uh it's part of my routine i mean i'll wake up and within a half hour i've got my hand in there get both sides whether it's like i said 20 20 minutes 30 minutes do both hands and then i'm on my way for the rest of the day and it's uh it's well worth it as well as you know the worksheets and all the other things that you've you've uh you and Jeannie have created are fabulous, but I, I just I get such a kick out of uh, I get such a kick out of recognizing uh, and you you mentioned it too on when you were talking earlier about how um, you know the vitality recognize the vitality, but it's not the vitality is not necessarily going to take you into happy land. You know, it, it may lead you to more or some other work that hey what about this or or what about that and then the the swiftness with which i can utilize the tools and forgiveness the collapse of the, the uh, construct that i have recognize that let it go it's fantastic so thank you sweet well glad you're on the track doing your work you know the course of miracles says that you know, people who do the work that millions yet unborn will benefit from what they do. And uh, so glad you're on the team doing it and passing it on and rock and roll. Talk to you guys later. All right, my friend. You have a blessed one. Love you. Love you. You too. Right. Bye. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. Sweet. Awesome. So, Miss Jeannie, any thoughts for you? I thought of something Anything while Joe was in... talking, but it's left my mind at this moment. <laughs> and we don't have any hands up, and there's no comments in the chat room. Um, there was, uh, I had sent links this morning to someone that I had been working with on uh, sending love. I, that, I think that's what I was thinking of when Joe was talking about looking at somebody and just holding the space and that was really key, right. saying to yourself, oh, that's just their monkey. That's not them. But um, there's actually a study, and it goes along with our love exchange that we have. And I can put the links to the love exchange uh, explanation in the notes as well as these. But they call them eye-gazing. And there were different exercises done in London and, and different places. One of them was Amnesty International that was doing the experiment between people from different countries, and basically people just sitting in front of a total stranger and having eye contact with them for, I don't remember what it was, three minutes or something like that. And yeah. people, you know, they at the end of it, they would hug, they would cry, they, you know, just all kinds of things. And they, it was a total stranger, and all it was was sharing love through their eyes. And so yep. I thought of that when Joe said, you know, he would look at somebody and put judgment on them, just recognize, oh, that's just a monkey, that's not them. But um, I'll put the link to that on the website in the notes for today, too. Well, it's interesting, you know, back years ago, actually before I met you, sweetie, I'd spent a lot of time going to different conferences, you know, at uh, um, Madison Square Gardens and, and the Cavett. Cavett Center, you know, all over the country. And there was one uh, series of workshops, and I had not heard of this before. This goes back, geez, 25, 
maybe longer years ago. And it was one guy and he was charging, you know, there would be different conference participants that would do different presentations. And this guy was selling tickets to come into his room and he would stand in the front of the room. He wouldn't say anything. He would just gaze at the audience. And that's what they called it, gazing. And he got $25 a ticket to have you come into the room and just sit there and have him gaze at you. Here we go. We can do a love exchange with anybody anytime for free. How cool is that? And you know what? They don't even need to be in the room with you. They don't even need to be in the city with you. They don't even need to be on the planet with you to do that love exchange. And the beauty of it is when you do it, you get the original. They just get a carbon copy. So pass it on. And it looks like we've got about 15 minutes left. So anybody out there that has a thought for us, something to share, a question, something you'd like some support with, tell me about what's happening in your world. And if you're on another station where we can't see you, uh, 563-999-3581 and press 1. And that will raise a hand. We'll know you want to talk to us. If you're in the chat room, and a hand just went up. If you're in the chat room, you can actually type a question. If you're signed in, uh, you can type a question in the chat room, and I'll read it out to Michael. And the hand that went up is Doug314. Welcome. Oh, well, welcome, young man. Thanks for coming back to play. Haven't seen you in a while. (laughs) Good afternoon to you both. Yeah. uh, A couple of things. I mean, I really enjoyed. I I don't don't remember remember you hearing. It didn't hit me before about the love exchange with people who aren't here who aren't even on right. the planet. That sounds like a very powerful yeah. idea to me. I, yeah, that's, that's, I remember that we did some of those love exchange exercises at different times, but yeah. that, that has a whole new dimension. Um, you said earlier in yeah. the show, I mean, there's a lot of things I could talk about, but you said earlier in the show that, uh, uh, let's see, you said that if in lower vitality the monkey mind can run the show and i i was like just curious about that if you could expand on that concept because it doesn't immediately fill in for me what what that means exactly how the lower mind our being in lower vitality is just more likely to create more monkey mind i i presume that's what you're well, saying there. Low, lower vitality is monkey mind lower lower remember that your cellular structure is a device, you know, all of the trillions of cells in your body are designed to function based in love. Different frequency has taken over a cell. Let's say it's suppressed hatred or fear or sadness or grief or loss or trauma. Then when those energetic patterns are moving on a cellular level, by definition, that is the monkey mind. And so the deeper one goes into that pain and trauma mind, the more difficult it is to climb out. And so, 
you know, moving into the habit yesterday, you know, I talked about the book uh, that somebody wrote, the title that I had to do some worksheets on Envy around. What, the title of the book was, You Can't Afford the Luxury of a Negative Thought. And if you're going to actually heal, every time you find your mind engaging in a thought disorder, that is a thought that's powered by something other than love, better change it. And if a whole mass of those things are moving, you know, the person who is, you know, can hardly get out of bed because of depression, it's because their cellular structure is running on thought disorders, running literally on the chemistry of the mind energy of some form of hostility or fear. And so the the lower one gets into the inertia-bound pattern of negative thinking, the easier it is for the replicant mind, the monkey mind, to just keep doing its thing. Does that make sense? When you start and you take time to consciously, purposely connect your mind and therefore your cellular structure, structure to active present love, if one of those things, you know, somebody, something comes along and resonates that, you know, I know I've had lots of people over the years who are like, yeah, well, now that I've got these words, now that I know how to forgive, now that I know that I need to breathe, gee, I can see things that years ago someone would come along and say something and I'd be in a funk for days or weeks. And now, well, yeah, that funk still comes up to a degree, but, you know, it's two minutes and I'm out of it. I'm done with it and I've cleaned up another layer of it. To me, that's the benefit of having the tools and the awareness and, of course, using them. Right, and you're saying that just, uh, like when I first heard that, I was thinking of vitality as health and aliveness and, and, and all of that. I mean, they're, they they go together, of course. I mean, thoughts that are off the mark bring your energy down and your vitality down. And, and you're, saying, you're saying that the very act of not being in, of being out of proper thought, out of being, being in states of is lower vitality. So monkey mind and lower vitality are essentially synonymous. They're, one, and, and, they're, and, different, they're different aspects of the same coin. Okay. And you can't have one without the other, and you can't separate one from the other. You know, if I've got a coin, I've got a silver dollar here, and on one side of it, yeah. people look at it and they say, what do you see? There's George Washington. On the other side, what do you see? I see an eagle. Okay, so I want you to take the head off of the coin. You can't do right. it. <laughs> no. At what point do you only have the tail left of the coin? At what point do you only have physiology left, or at what point do you only have mind left? You can't have one without the other. That's why the cleaning up and the correcting of the mind is so important. I was listening to a, a gentleman who was presenting it uh, in, in the country of Bhutan. Interesting, in Bhutan, one of the assets that they consider to be a national asset, a way they measure wealth in Bhutan, is by the level of national happiness of people. And they had this scholar presenting, this historian presenting. And he was talking about how people who get locked in to historical stories get lost in those stories and 
literally lose their human lives to it, literally take lives and lose their own lives just because they told a story, just because somebody had a story that they locked into and, you know, they were ready to go for. He spoke about the, uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. He said, you know, nobody's concerned about the rocks and the stones and the land, but what they're concerned about, what they're warring over is each of them has a story that my claim is more important than yours and the unwillingness to let go of that destructive thinking. And at one point, the, the moderator of the discussion asked him, you know, he was talking about the, the direction that the world is going in terms of conflict and war. And, you know, this high-level scholar who speaks at the UN and all over the world, and, and he says to them, you know, well, what do we do? What, where is our hope? He said, our only hope is for people to clean up their own minds. And, of course, they have to recognize first that that's the problem, which which is, like, I'm thinking of the... Well, big thing that keeps people from recognizing that's the problem is they've got a story about how it's somebody else's problem. See, I'm only this way because of you, you see. That's one of the biggest insane stories on the planet. In fact, there's a whole religion, the one world universal religion to blame. You know, I'm only, my mind's only in negativity because of what you did. Well, well that, yeah, five years ago it was Harry. Yes, that's true. Well, yeah, I know we were friends, but yeah, yeah, 10 years ago it was Bill. You're right. But, you know, now it's you. <laughs> it's just like people are stuck in their story. Actually, um, the, the original... Uh, uh, music director at Heartland way back 30-some years ago wrote a song while he was there called Stuck in My Story, My Pain and My Glory. <laughs> the melody lines of the song. Right. Can I read something? Please do, sweetie. I was actually looking up how to, to spell um, uh, Bhutan. And I came across, this is actually an article in the National Library of Medicine. It's a PubMed um, bulletin for the World Health Organization. And it says, um, Bhutan was the first country in the world to pursue happiness policy. The Bhutanese concept of happiness is deeper than the common meaning of happiness in industrialized countries. The philosophy of gross national happiness has several dimensions. It's holistic, recognizing people's spiritual, material, physical, or social needs. It emphasizes balanced progress. It views happiness as a collective phenomenon. It is both ecologically sustainable, pursuing well-being for both current and future generations, and equitable, achieving a fair and reasonable distribution of well-being among people. Since the early 1970s, Bhutan has promoted population well-being over material development. Happiness, health, and well-being are closely related. Good health is often considered the single most important detriment, detriment, I'm not pronouncing it, of well-being. Yeah, conversely, adverse health changes have lasting and negative effects on well-being. And it goes on, but that first paragraph I think is powerful. 
instead That's of just very what powerful. you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, if you'd send me a copy of that article, that'd be cool. But yeah, it's like it should be national policy everywhere, international policy. I just, I just see the blindness of, of exactly what I guess you're saying in my my mind is, is how people are always blaming somebody else as evil in the problem. You know, constantly it's the rest. I can't be happy because of what you're doing. Right. And the reverse is true. If I choose to have joy, actually slightly different than happiness, joy is the more, I would say, the more valuable asset. If I choose to have joy and I bring it to the person who I was blaming yesterday, I may just bring transformation to the person I was blaming yesterday and healing. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) I mean, literally, literally by the time people are four in this culture, we are virtually all card-carrying members of the one world universal religion of blame. It is the most prevalent religion on the planet. And how many religions are really tapped into their own religion and practicing it and letting others do the same. Oh, no, your religion's bad, mine good. I have to kill you or get rid of yours so that mine can rule. It's all ego. It's all just silly, you know, the prejudices, you know. Oh, these kind of people aren't good. They're not part of ours. Or, I mean, on and on and on go the stories that people are stuck in. And it's time to stop glorying in pain as human beings, whoever it is that you're telling your story about. Collapse it. Get rid of it. Well, that question got answered well. So I see that it's about time (laughs) end of the show. But, yeah, so basically lower vitality and monkey mind are the same thing, just different aspects of that expression, and they both promote the same. Yeah, one promotes the other. Same result. Okay. They are literally okay. looking at the head or the end or the tail of the coin. They're exactly identical. Just it's one single object observed from a different perspective. If we think of it in object terms. <laughs> okay. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. All right, my friend. Well, you have a blessed one, extending love in your direction, and uh, hope all is well. Well, Miss Jeannie, we're down to the last few seconds, so I'll just say thank you, everybody, for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.yagain.org. That's 
www.whyagain.org.